Fall is finally here, and so is Old Navy's Big Fall Sale. Get thousands of styles from just 5 bucks. All your fall favorites are on sale now. Layer up with $5 tees and $10 long-sleeve tees for the whole family, and stock up on sweaters and dresses for just $15. Plus, save even more with up to 75% off clearance styles. Don't miss out. Hurry in for thousands of styles from just 5 bucks now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1015 to 1025, select styles only. All right, before we get started, we have the baseball podcast coming up here. A couple quick show notes, especially if you're on the NBA feed. We're going to spend the first 17 and a half minutes talking about pitchers for the baseball slate. Then uh, we'll spend a little bit, about 15 minutes or so, 14 minutes talking about the hitters. And then at the 31 minute mark, we do get into a rapid reaction of game one of the NBA playoffs. So you can skip around or you can listen to the whole thing, but let's get it going. All right, you're back in the DFSR, and it's an MLB podcast. It's Friday. It's May 31st, last day of May. I'm Doug Norrie. That is James Davis. Almost June. I don't know why I got excited about that. Should I be excited? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Do, do I, am I, just I know how excited take... you get about the months changing, buddy. So, yes, I, I think you should be. You shouldn't let your childlike enthusiasm for new months uh, go away from you here. I think it's one of your most endearing qualities. My buddy Doug just love when it, loves when a month changes. Uh, like, it's like a like, huge day. He like does like a countdown at the nighttime. It's like really, really lovely. All right. We're going to talk a baseball slate here for Friday. Pretty interesting one. I have some questions for you on some different pitchers that seem to be heading in different directions, but we can uh, kind of get into that as we roll. We uh, released, uh, Joe Bartolotta um, released our cash game plays on the site last night. Wrote up two pitchers from the same game. I'm wondering your thoughts about this. Especially on a site like DraftKings, we can talk about some of the other options as well. But when we see maybe two of the top arms that appear to be facing each other, I'm talking about two of the top arms relative to their price. Does that make you nervous at all? Like, where do you stand on this? And I'm talking about Joey Lucchese and Caleb Smith in this case that are facing each other, San Diego against Miami. Can you? Is there like scenarios where rostering the same pitchers facing each other in the same game makes sense on DraftKings? And we can talk a little on FanDuel as well. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Like, obviously, you're not going to get the win from both, but you're more likely to get a win. So in some ways, it's kind of a high floor option. Uh, I wouldn't do it for big tournaments just because you're essentially ruling out points from one of your pitchers, and that tends to not be a winning strategy. But yeah, I think in this case especially, like the thing you're getting with Caleb Smith and Joey Lacasey is not spending very much at all on pitching on a day where being able to save up for some bats might actually wind up making sense. And you're just getting two young left-handed pitchers that are striking out a ton of guys, not walking very many guys, and pitching in a really, really good pitcher's park against bad teams. Like, all of those recipes check out, and I think, you know, getting either side of that tends to make sense here. Well, right now, okay, so I'll get to this next guy in a second, but yeah, no, I'm with you. You don't want to cannibalize your win expectation for sure. Now, these two teams just happen to be just so bottom of the barrel when it comes to, like Marlins are dead last in the league against lefties. They don't strike out a ton, 20% of the time, but they just can't really, they just can't hit it all. Padres not as bad. They're 18th in WOBA against lefties this season, but they strike out 27% of the time. Smith is, I mean, look, this is a real prospect, obviously. He's made incredible strides. Do you think we've seen the ceiling on some of his peripherals, 11.5 Ks per nine? He's got the walks down to two. The walks have been a real problem for his first, like, 100 or so innings uh, of his career up over four uh, walk per nine walk rate. Now it's down to two and a half. Do you think, like, are we still, have we reached the peak on what his peripherals can be, you think? Or do you think, um, 
is there like still room to grow? Because this guy is really actually at this point just turning into like an ace's ace. Yeah, I mean, you don't tend to want to say there's much more room to grow when someone's already at 11.5 Ks per nine and two and a half walks per nine. That's about what the very best pitchers do. Um, if there's any room to grow for Smith, it would be limiting the home run ball. Uh, right now, like he's really playing with fire with this 28% ground ball rate. That will be the lowest rate in the majors among qualified starters. I would have to imagine if he makes it through the whole season at that rate. It may even be like historic lows. Um, so essentially his plan is throw the ball fast, throw it up in the zone. Sometimes they're going to keep keep a low BABIP as a result because, you know, hopefully guys hit balls to the warning track instead of over the wall. And, uh, and it's working so far. I mean, early in his career, he is getting by with that strategy. And like I said, though, I don't think, you know, even in Miami that he can count on giving up like less than 1.2 home runs per nine uh, like he has over his young career as a starter forever. So I think tonight's another night where he should be able to get away with it. The Padres don't really hit for very much power. And, um, you know, like I said, tough park to hit in. So I think you can get him tonight. I think the, the fact that the Padres strike out so much tonight makes him an even more attractive play. Uh, and he's just not anywhere near priced. Like if you compare him to, say, Patrick Corbin, Corbin is $1,500 more. I don't think you can definitively say that Corbin is straight up $1,500 better in terms of true talent. Um, you could argue, Many would argue that Corbin is worse <laughs> based on, right. on the peripherals right now. So, yeah, I, I think Caleb Smith just an objectively great player. And then you get Lucchese. And by the way, Caleb Smith, about the only good thing that happened with all the trades that the Marlins made, I believe, like that he came over in the yeah. Stanton trade, um, you know, when, when they sent off Stanton and Yelich and Ozuna. Derek Dietrich. They basically just sent off like what could have been a murderer's row of a World Series team. Um, at least they did get Caleb Smith back. I, I can't. I, I'm not sure what else. I can't remember off the top. I mean, Garrett Cooper maybe. I can't remember like what else they got back. It really. It's just funny now too because it's the Yelich thing that looks particularly horrible um, in terms of, like what they gave up to or what they what they got back to give up. What's sort of like starting to come into like a generational talent sort of conversation. Anyway, the Lucchese thing. He. The concern with him early in the season was just kind of how many innings they were going to let him go. He was hovering. He had one seven-inning game early in the season, but most of his inning, most of his innings pitched were right around five or less. But the last three games, five and a third, seven, and six and two-thirds, he has 21 strikeouts and two walks in that time. I think our projection had been down on him just in terms of the overall innings just because, like, what he had been doing early in the season. Um, are we ready to kind of take him up to, like, close to six innings a start? Maybe five and three quarters, somewhere around there. It was, Only reason I say it is because that kind of innings jump would make a pretty big difference for his overall raw points. Yeah, I think it's reasonable. Um, you know, with young pitchers, it really can be tough to project how many innings they're going to go early in the season. You know, oftentimes teams are conservative. Oftentimes, they don't really know how to manage their own workload, you know, going really deep into innings early in the game. And I think that adjusting that guidance upward makes sense when we're seeing evidence that that would be the case. Okay, my next question is just going to move off this game. I think we pretty much agree maybe from a cash game perspective, there's a reason this game, this line is low to start. These teams don't hit. These pitchers are good. I think on for both uh, sub-10,000 on DraftKings, I think it makes sense with, the, with obviously the caveat being you really, GBPs, you are going to limit your upside. What are your thoughts on Trevor Bauer? Bauer yeah. is coming off, I mean, easily his best season. He had been basically a 4x FIP guy for most of his career. Decent strikeout stuff, slowly ticks him up. And then last year really spikes the strikeouts at up over 11. Limits the walks. And he does it in conjunction with limiting the walks. So he goes for his best ever K rate and his lowest ever walk rate. And it's really looking like he maybe has turned the corner in terms of, you know, I mentioned ace is ace, like kind of getting into that discussion as well. And now he kind of like is back to being 
what he was before last year slash worse with the walks? Like, what do we do? Because the, the XFIP at this point is four and a half. The ERA is four. He's really gotten bombed in some games. Where do we do with Bauer? Because this is a projection that sort of vexed me as he doesn't seem to be turning around specifically with the walks. Yeah, Bauer's funny. I mean, I think you can... Like, there's, there was reason to draw a line through his 27, 18, and 20... Or 27... Jeez... 2017 and 2018 seasons and say okay this is kind of the natural progression of a young power pitcher right uh the strikeouts are ticking up and he's still maintaining the walk rate that he has and so like we've seen power pitchers take that trajectory in the past the things that looked a little unsustainable to me were first of all the dramatic decrease in home run rate last season like there's just no reason why his profile would suggest that he should be a 6.2% 6.2% home run to fly ball ratio pitcher uh, right. when all the other numbers were actually trending in a direction where it looked like he should be giving up more home runs. Uh, you know, like the ground ball rate that he had kind of spiked in 2016, like that had been kind of coming back down to earth and turning him more into the generally fly ball pitcher he was when he first came up. And so, yeah, we're seeing the home runs basically just level out to where they probably ought to be. And then the control thing was just always a problem for him. I mean, when he came up, what he did originally was he sacrificed strikeouts to try to get more command and that didn't really work he just lost strikeouts and only marginally improved his walk rate and seeing the walk rate head back in this direction is kind of unsurprising for a guy who came up walking four batters per nine right i mean it's not like bauer is ancient but as he continues to put more workload on command can be one of the first things to go so i think that I wouldn't probably pencil him in for 4.23 walks per nine for the rest of the season, but something like 3.5 or thereabouts is probably reasonable. And, and that's going to turn him more into like a rich man's Robbie Ray rather than like, you know, potentially contending for the Cy Young like it looked like he could last year. Yeah, that's an interesting comp because, and I think that's not where people are going to kind of land on Bauer because it can get stuck in your head that he's, again, coming off this season where he was. Cy Young stuff, right? Like he was just that good. And, but now, but if that season is going to look more and more like an outlier, which it's really starting to, then yeah, the Robbie Ray thing isn't too far off because these walks are just really, really problematic. And you can run bad in Babip. Actually, and it's funny, he actually hasn't even run bad in Babip. He's, the Babip's actually low this season. And he's been able to, um, he's been able to generally, and the left on base stuff is, I guess, a little low. But he, you can't even say like he's, he's, been all that unlucky he's maybe been lucky like the era is lower than the xfip so um i think it's maybe time to start readjusting expectations if your expectations were built around last season's performance um i think that's not a bad it's just yeah it's not a bad it's not a bad it's not a bad it's not a bad place bad place to place to be a little bit bearish i think on him going forward one more guy i'm kind of giving you all the pictures here i'm happy to hear you know thoughts that you have but i wanted your opinion on some of these guys and the other guys Fultinowitz. Fultinowitz was a guy we bagged last podcast we talked about where he pitched because um, the numbers have been just pretty damn bad for him to start the season. And then basically just as these guys do whenever we say something bad about a guy, he goes out and pitches his best game of the season. He goes seven innings, no walks, six in six innings. Um, or excuse me, seven Ks in six innings, no walks. Are we ready to flip back on him? Because we were really down on him based on like some velocity stuff and, and um, just like pretty poor early season numbers. And then he just kind of turned it back around. Is, is one start enough to readjust expectations? Do we need to stay the course? Or do we want to start thinking that he can maybe go back to what he had done the seasons prior? Um, I don't think you want to dramatically change expectations. I mean, it's nice that he finally had a game where he struck out more than a batter per inning. But that was, you know, the first game where he did that all season. Uh, we have other games where he had three Ks in six innings, four and four and two thirds when he got absolutely shelled. 
and faced like probably six innings worth of batters in that time. Um, you know, two Ks against four walks in six innings. I think you can take a wait and see approach on Fultonowitz. Like maybe you don't want to stack against him in the same way it looked like you wanted to, but I think you definitely don't need to play him or anything. Um, and the reason I mentioned some of these guys too, like specifically Bauer and Fultonowitz, is that this is a night where there's some good arms, but the win expectations are pretty low across the board. Like the, the highest money line. Well, okay, there's the, Marquez in Colorado is a minus 265, but I'm wiping that off the board because the run line's through the roof. Although still, he's probably still in a pretty good spot because he's been good and the Blue Jays have been pretty bad. But if you wipe that money line off the table, the next highest ones you get are all in these 160 ranges. Bowers a minus 160. Um, Fultinowitz, I believe, was right around there in 160. My eyes just drifted off of it for a second and I can't find it. Um, I'll, while I do that, though, I'll mention that um, Lucchese was another one. He's actually minus 160. Yeah, Fultinowitz minus one. These guys are all kind of right in that same range. The over-unders... The Marlins one is seven, but the over-unders on the uh, the Braves game is nine. The Cleveland game, nine and a half. I'm, I'm mentioning these because, like, from a win expectation, these guys are the best uh, of the group. Do you have a you know, do you have a feel about do, does the win expectation for Fulton Woods or Bauer guys that I, I maybe have some question marks about enough to like sort of push them into the cash game department, or do those two guys that we mentioned before just still take the still just trump it because of the, the overall run? I think Bauer is playable on DraftKings, especially. I think the the relatively low price point, the fact that you need two pitchers, the fact that hitting is a little bit challenging. I think all of that, like something like a Trevor Bauer, Caleb Smith pairing, I think could wind up making sense. Um, kind of, it's almost like a upper middle class approach to pitching on DraftKings tonight. Um, I think in terms of Fultinowitz, there's just too much risk there. Like he can have as much win expectation as he wants. Like when I know that by and large this season, it's been like six innings with three strikeouts. I'm just not going to go there. Like if I'm going to take a risk, like a good principle for me is if I'm going to take a risk on a pitcher on DraftKings, I really want some of that risk to be mitigated by the potential for like, yeah, okay, he gave up four earned runs in five innings, but he also had seven strikeouts to go with it. And I just don't see Fultinowitz as being able, because basically a strikeout erases an earned run, (laughs) you know, Um, and I don't see Fultinowitz as being totally capable of doing that. Yeah, I think I mostly uh, I mostly agree with that. And a couple other just guys to make mention of that we have going here tonight. I mean, I don't know if any of these guys interest you. We have Meta. Uh, he's got some decent win odds uh, going here tonight for the Dodgers. Uh, Brad Peacock, who's shown he's 17 Ks, 17 Ks, one walk in his last 11 innings. Um, he's that he's been able to flash big K upside at the time. Any of these guys interest you at all we have sale against i mean i didn't even mention sale against uh the yankees here um he's the most expensive arm on the slate uh because that game got rained out any of these other guys actually i'm actually surprised i wonder if there's something there's no line in this boston game because our projection on sale looks a little low any of these other guys interested yeah, right at all? now there is a line on the boston game maybe there isn't one in our system but i don't know not really i mean i think you're talking about all big tournament plays like sale as an underdog like i don't think you're gonna jam him in there for cash at like plus 145 or, or sorry plus 114 right now um and yeah i think i think you're talking about some good upside arms that you can potentially turn to for big tournaments because i do think you know like some nights we have demonstrably the the best play the highest upside guy and at least in the pitching department it is a little bit more spread out for me uh one quick stack or stat before we head on over to stacks just because this is like an awesome highlight of this miami trade so the uh, the centerpiece that Miami got back for the Christian Yelich trade was Lewis Brinson. Um, well, he was he was a huge prospect at the time, and to be fair too, just like in terms of the Marlins, both like in poker we call it run bad and play bad, you know, and like that's when things go go right. pretty badly for you. Christian Yelich leaves, and he's like oh, an eight hundred OPS guy, like he's a really solid player. Yeah. 
uh, good walk rate, you know. So since the time of that trade, Christian Yelich, he has a slugging percentage, okay, a slugging percentage more than 70 points higher than Lewis Brinson's OPS. <laughs> so yeah. that means they lost the trade, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I, I hate, I, you're right. It's hard to bag on the Marlins too hard for the Yelich thing because he has become something. Well, he's become like an MVP. It's almost funny because. time, again, he was just like fine. Like he was, he was like Dwight Smith. And Stan's Jr., just been hurt. Know? And like it's, Right, and like maybe the Stanton trade, like if Caleb Smith continues to progress, like maybe the Stanton thing doesn't look as bad, right? Like so you could be that one might not end up looking as bad at the, even though that one looked horrible at the time, and the Yelich one was just kind of like a blip. People understood. People no 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 one was crying out. I don't think about the Yelich trade at the time. I don't when it happened. Then he just turns into be like Mike Trout Jr. or something like that. Like since that happened, so I guess you're right. It's it's definitely like a post mortem kind of bagging on the Marlins. It's just funny that this is kind of the thing that's worked out. Um, any other things here? John Duplanter, he's going to make a start today. He is something of a prospect. Um, it doesn't, I don't suspect he goes a ton of innings because he's been mostly uh, mostly coming out of relief. So um, I, th- I saw that someone had asked the question about him. But anytime these guys are going from converted relievers, even though he's pitched in the minors as a starter, converted relievers to a starter, it's really, really pretty tough to throw out uh, much in terms of win expectation. And one final note. I have not gotten Zach Wheeler right in lineups yet this season. And it's because we didn't mention him, get ready for just like a Cy Young <laughs> performance tonight. The times where he's been the absolute total chalk and been the easiest play ever, like facing the Marlins or whatever, he's gotten just completely dogged. Tonight, because we haven't mentioned him as a cash game play, he'll do the every other game theory thing with him where he just pitches lights out. So you can pretty much lock that one into the books um, based on nothing but the universe and it's karma kind of coming to bite me. Any other pitchers here? Any other final thoughts and pitchers before we no, get the stacks? We're, uh, we're all caught up here. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with some of these hitters. Fall is finally here, and so is Old Navy's big fall sale. Get thousands of styles from just five bucks. All your fall favorites are on sale now. Layer up with $5 tees and $10 long sleeve tees for the whole family, and stock up on sweaters and dresses for just $15. Plus, save even more with up to 75% off clearance styles. Don't miss out. Hurry in for thousands of styles from just five bucks now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1015 to 1025, select styles only. Fall is finally here, and so is Old Navy's big fall sale. Get thousands of styles from just five bucks. All your fall favorites are on sale now. Layer up with $5 tees and $10 long sleeve tees for the whole family, and stock up on sweaters and dresses for just $15. Plus, save even more with up to 75% off clearance styles. Don't miss out. Hurry in for thousands of styles from just five bucks now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1015 to 1025, select styles only. All right, we're back with stacks. I'm going to do a quick correction here because if we took a break, uh, we double-checked. This is my fault because I should have just checked. I just assumed that Caleb Smith had come over in the Yankees trade because, like, who else would the Marlins have gotten for Giancarlo Stanton at the time? As, yeah, except George for a Guzman pitcher. and Jose Devers, dude. And Sterling Castro. Yeah, I, I just – that's my bad. I, I, um, I just I – well, bad, bad job by all the people out there because probably what you did, which is what I did too, when I, I looked at, like, three articles, they are like – they traded Stan for Castro and some prospects. I mean, they're all prospects are the same, right? They got a couple prospects. Nope. Yeah, they did. The Marlins, I would say, got away with murder getting Caleb Smith. The Yankees just couldn't figure out how to get this guy into a starting spot. So, okay, so we'll just take the trade in the aggregate. We'll take all the trades in the aggregate, and we'll say that they'd end up maybe just becoming even, like even though that wasn't the deals that were done um, individually at the time. So anyway, before anyone 
sends me hate mail about getting that one wrong. Hopefully you got to this point where you saw that <laughs> I said a retraction uh, about not knowing which trade happened there. All right, stacks. I My eyes popped out of the old sockets last night when I saw the run line coming out of Colorado for today's game. This is it was at our implied run line, like sort of calculator, had this game at 7.26 implied runs for Colorado, which was easily the highest of the of the season so far. It overnight, as I slept, um, I woke up to see that it's now up to 7.4 implied runs. Uh, sure. I mean, this is just. It's hilariously high. It's almost like unsustainably high, and then they scored like 19 runs or something like that yesterday. I mean, do we just? We didn't really mention it when it came to pitchers, but some of these pitchers were thankfully coming a little bit cheap. Are we in a situation now where we're just four or five, depending on the site, Rockies or bus for cash games with this line? Because this line is like two runs higher than the next highest team who also are like in kind of good spots today. Well, it's funny. That that incredible run line is also what is pressuring our system to say like, like you can't even consider someone like Patrick Corbin or Chris Sale today because right. you're just going to need to spend up on a, at least a couple of Rockies. And so... Right now on DraftKings, that's why these lineups, I think, with um, Smith and Bauer look so good because you can get, you know, like Tapia and Dahl towards the top of the lineup. You can grab an admittedly really expensive Trevor Story. But, I mean, if they're legitimately going to score seven-plus runs, you probably want as many Rockies as you can afford. And it looks like one of those nights where we're going to, at least for cash, be grabbing some Rockies and then trying to fill in, you know, cheap guys towards the top of the lineup as best we can in other spots, you know. Guys like Nicky Lopez and you know whoever else, Vlad Guerrero, you know, like <laughs> we're uh, yeah, it's gonna be a, a funny night that way because rarely do you have this much incentive to pay up for anything. And the reason it is is because Edwin Jackson makes his way into yeah, course, back. and he has he has an ERA of nine. We make this joke all the time where the nine ERA would has him a little upset for running bad because the XFIP was more like five and a half. Yeah, uh, those are his first Terrible fourteen line. innings. The guy, <laughs> this guy's coming off a season. People are going to point to his A season last year and be like, oh, three, you know, 3.33 ERA over 92 innings. That looks pretty good. Dude, it was so lucky. Now, he is a ground ball pitcher, so you're going to get that bad up a little bit. Uh, you can get that bad up a little bit uh, lower. But the um, the his XFIP was more like 4.88. The guy can't strike anybody out. He's striking out less than seven last year. That number's way down this season. If you cannot strike guys out already, I get that, the, and, and ground balls are kind of how you're going to live. Like, good luck, because cores can really, really punish you. Um, because the second these balls get up in the air, you're totally dead. And that's why the line is where it is. I, I Okay, so if we're, in this, if we're in this scenario where I think we would agree the top four, and it's been basically Dahl, excuse me, Tapia Story, Dahl, Arenado, and then Daniel Murphy can kind of come and go near the yeah. top of the lineup at times. Uh, Tony Walters maybe makes an appearance there. Ryan McMahon. They have other... Other bats, I think you know you can only play so many of them, and they are priced pretty accordingly, and it's still probably worth it. Like FanDuel right now, we have Arenado, Story, Dal, and Tapia in the lineup. They're in every lineup. I don't think that's going to change. You're going to might have to punt pitching. Where do you want to go to maybe fill in the you know fill in the crevices? What do you fill in around? What's the thing that you fill in? I was looking for like the the saying there. What what do we fill the, in here? Fill in the the blanks. What? Oh, blanks. That's a jeez, man. I was thinking building. Sorry, dude. I'm just like a builder at heart. So like I'm I'm filling in the crack. I'm filling in the grout. You know, filling in between the tile. Things like that. Like, but you're Uh just you're you're more of a thinker where you fill in the blanks. Where do what blanks do we want to fill after some of these guys in Colorado? Well, yeah. So I think there actually are some pretty interesting pitchers that you can stack against, Um, and they're actually pitchers going against teams that you can probably get some cheap plays out of too. Uh, So just kind of like in time order. Uh, the Giants are going up against Andrew Kashner today, and the Giants oh, yeah. are not a team we've turned to for bat help very often, but going up against Andrew Kashner makes that a little bit more feasible. Of course, again, like we happen to catch 
uh, Kastner's best game, arguably, of his entire career. Uh, when he, at, when was that earlier this season? Oh, like eight Ks against the White Sox. I can't remember now. But um, but yeah, Kastner is just not very good. Uh, four and a half ERA, four and a half xFIP. He's just like your kind of classic below average pitcher. Uh, he'll stick around long enough in the games that he should be able to give up a lot of runs and. The other thing is that he's probably arguably just running hot in terms of striking out more than seven guys per nine this season. So, uh, Kashner, not like the, if there's a troubling thing about stacking against Kashner, it's been the increased ground ball rate this season. Uh, last year, it was really like just a paradise with him striking out no one and only generating ground balls on 40% of his balls in play. Uh, but he's still giving up those one and a half home runs per nine. And I think that. The Giants will also be like pretty lowly owned if you want to grab them for big tournaments too. So, yeah, I, I would say Kashner, a good guy to target against with the Giants here tonight. Yeah, they've switched their lineup around too. Uh, they have panic. Uh, they've used Yastrzemski, who I just had an impossible time spelling, but because I'm just thinking Yaz whenever I think it, so I just kept typing in Mike Yaz yeah, over and over name. and over again, waiting, waiting for like that to populate into like what his, his <laughs> some of his stats would be, and then I forget that it's Yastrzemski, like. Getting as many consonants in a row, sure. the S T R Z right in a row, that mm -hmm. just like rolls right off the tongue. No wonder that you converted to yeah. So anyway, I, I was half listening to you. Um, it was because I was just struggling so much with how the hell to spell this guy's name. Uh, but he's been hitting second. He's still coming pretty cheap on Fanduel. Uh, guys like Belt, Brandon Belt's actually an underrated sort of like cash gameplay. Uh, he's just because he's a really patient hitter. That's kind of just been unfortunate to be in the wrong ballpark and sort of the wrong lineup for a lot of his career. Um, he is the kind of guy that can probably take advantage of finally getting into a better park. He's has an 800 OPS, over 800 OPS this season, 13% uh, walk rate. He's just a good hitter. He just happens to just play on a terrible team in a terrible park, which is why you don't really, his name doesn't come up on radars, radars all that often, but this might be sort of the time to grab him. After him, um, we talked about stacking against Edward Jackson, stacking against Kashner. What else do you kind of, is there another team that you're kind of targeting on the slate? Yeah, I mean, I'd say probably, arguably the worst is he worse than Edwin Jackson? I guess that's tough to say. But Dylan Covey is pitching tonight, and this guy has really been an embarrassment this season. Uh, now, it's unclear how many um, Indians you can play tonight, especially for cash, given that you're going to have to prioritize cores. But if you're looking for a stack that should be lower owned than the core stacks, getting the Indians against Covey just looks incredible. I mean, Covey was already a guy who was below league average, and has somehow he basically flipped his K rate and his walk rate last season. Um, so this year he's got a 4.44 strikeouts per nine, just awful, like Mike Pelfrey oh, yeah. style season. But also pairing that with like a 6.15 walks per nine, that you just there's no comp because no one survives in the majors by doing that. So I think Kobe is on the fast track to the minors. Um, if it weren't for the absolutely incredible feat of generating a 175 BABIP, I mean, talk about the luckiest guy in the majors this season. <laughs> The five point, and he still has a five point four seven ERA. Like, there's just nothing he can do to get out of a game without damage with this current profile. So I think the Indians in a great spot here to really deliver. And again, price wise, it might be tough for regular cash games, but for big tournaments, yeah, man, I'm I'm all in here. Kobe is one of those guys where you do want to like just call someone in the White Sox front office and just be like, what are you expecting to happen? Or unless you're just like you know tanking, if you're trusting the process and you're just like in full tank mode. <laughs> sure. But after 220 innings of basically like walking, I don't know half a more guy than than they strike out six walks per nine, the five xFIP, the six ERA, like what are you hoping is going to happen with this guy? Like there's no one better. There's an entire farm system. Baseball just has five gajillion players in their farm systems. It's like it's it's stupid how many minor league teams these guys have. These teams have and yet. 
And it's not even like he's on a contract where they need to keep pitching. He's on like I think he believes he's still on a, a, a rookie contract. Like, I just don't even understand. Does that make sense? Like, what is going on with these teams? Like, how can there not be a better arm than this? Am I just asking a rhetorical question that to which there's no answer? Or like, is there any logical explanation for why this guy continues just pitching the majors? No, there isn't. Um, maybe like I picture like there's some grizzled scout who like saw him in the A's system and like liked his fastball or whatever. And his girlfriend's hot. He's a winner. Like that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like he's got like, like a great body. Like one of those things. Right. And they were like, ooh, we're going to snag him from the A's here. And then he'll just put him right in the majors. <laughs> like this is, so this is basically the path for Kobe in case you're not a Kobe follower. And this is just more like fun with baseball type stuff than actual DFS analysis. But 2016, he's in double A ball with the A's. He sucks. He's got five walks per nine, a 381 XFIP that's basically only there because of incredibly high ground ball rates that he really has never been able to sustain in the majors. But just like just walking the absolute ballpark. They take him from that, again, double A ball, where he was bad, right into the major leagues. <laughs> so they're like, nah, it's time. This guy's time. The A's couldn't find him. You're any, ready. You know, one of the smartest teams in the majors just couldn't even get him out of double A ball. We're just going to put him in the majors, just sight unseen. Yeah, we, we, we gave him 11 innings in the minors. That was enough. Why, By the way, a starting rookie ball, two starts in uh, two relief appearances in AAA, and they're like right into the bigs, buddy. And then he was dog poop. I almost cursed on the podcast, and he's been dog poop ever since, Doug. And right now he's probably he's just confidence is shot. He's just awful. I don't know. Yeah, I just – I, 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 I always God, just God amazes him, me. Dude, because this guy was not destined for the major league. So the fact that he is – in the majors, earning a major league salary, I really hope he's like got a good financial planner. He's like ferreting this away, like it's lottery winnings, because this is not this is not going to last. Um, final stack, I think we can probably take a look at here. Uh, just a good hitters park against, um, I would say, a, a run hot lefty and Danny Duffy is the Rangers. Duffy, I know that people might look to the ERA three point one. He's this guy's been a four and a half expert guy for his career. No different this season. It's actually higher this season. It's up near five in his thirty four innings. Yeah. He he's like barely a two to one strikeout to walk ratio guy. The and Rangers and we've mentioned this many times, but that the ballpark in Arlington does play as about one of the best hitters park in baseball after cores. It's like that. I think there's more runs scored in in Texas last season. It's got a little bit more to do with their pitching, but um, more runs scored in Texas last year than there were in Colorado, I believe. I'm quoting that correctly. But they have some guys. You know, they have uh, the reemergence of Hunter Pence hitting in the middle of that lineup. Uh, Elvis Andrews is back. Logan Forsythe's been amazing. Like, they've really gotten kind of miracle seasons, I would say, out of guys like Pence, guys like especially Forsythe, who I just couldn't believe the numbers he was putting up when we were talking about him. I forget when we were talking about him. I think it was for our, like, our other league that we're in. But like the fact that Logan Forsythe just couldn't have done a single thing for many seasons when he was a minimum guy and hitting a leadoff, and we just wanted to play him every single night. Now he just goes to the Rangers and it's just turned into like, I don't know, Bonzi and kind of like levels of OPS. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's only a 900 OPS this season with a 14% walk rate for jerk. Yeah, he's I, like this a, kind he's of like thing a peak really... John Olerud with like, yeah, like a, a little bit of extra power, you know? So. Yeah, when he was like when he was on the Twins and he was a minimum price guy hitting against a lefty and then he would just ground that every single time. Um, and then we have a and we have Pence with a 960 OPS with 11 home runs this season. Uh, that the power is not going to probably sustain. But the fact that these guys are even doing it is pretty pretty amazing that the Rangers were able to grab this. So stacking these guys against the lefty Duffy in a good spot. Even Gallo, I know it's the wrong side of his split, but when his biggest problem is the case, uh, and so when you can just reduce that expectation even from the wrong side of the platoon. You're in a pretty good spot. Any other final thoughts here? We covered a lot today on the podcast. We're obviously um, probably <laughs> going to end up just in cliff notes by saying just a couple of cheap pitchers in the Rockies. Any final notes before we get out of here for Friday? 
No, I think the only other one was the Cubs against Miles Mikolas. Uh, either it's still the type of stack you can get, uh, you know, at a lower ownership rate because people, especially casual players, still don't totally understand that Miles Mikolas isn't very good. Um, certainly, a lot of the other names that we mentioned so far are worse. But if you're stacking, especially for big tournaments. Mikolas' profile really does lend itself to blow up games. Uh, basically, no strikeouts and no walks means lots of balls in play. Uh, and this season, blessedly, that's also turned into lots of home runs, uh, which is really the only thing that's fair. Like when you're putting this many balls in play at a sub 50% ground ball rate, you should be giving up more home runs. And, and that's been happening. So, yeah, again, the Cubs, I don't think you'll wind up there for cash games just because the pricing probably won't work out for you. But uh, grabbing some Cubs against Mikolas can't be too bad a thing. All right, uh, dfsr.com slash deals is the site, dailyfantasysportsrankings.com slash deals. We'll get you, the podcast listener, a free trial to our projection system powered by our good friends over at Lineup Lab, Optimal Apps for FanDuel and DraftKings. Uh, you get, like I said, you get that free trial, so you go test it out. Uh, no risk, and then I think we'll be with us for the long term. Buddy, enjoy your Friday in baseball. Peace. Fall is finally here, and so is Old Navy's big fall sale. Get thousands of styles from just five bucks. All your fall favorites are on sale now. Layer up with $5 tees and $10 long sleeve tees for the whole family, and stock up on sweaters and dresses for just $15. Plus, save even more with up to 75% off clearance styles. Don't miss out. Hurry in for thousands of styles from just five bucks now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1015 to 1025, select styles only. All right, we wanted to jump on and do a game one sort of like rapid reaction to the NBA Finals uh, with Toronto beating the Warriors at home, 118 to 109 Spoiler last alert, night. If you had it on your, uh, your TiVo, you know. If you were right, if you were watching on a recording and you listened to this podcast first, <laughs> I did not post a spoil. I did not post this. I'm not, and I'm not going to post a spoiler alert. Um, Surprise! But we, we the wanted, Raptors won. we wanted to. What's that? Say it again. Surprise! The Raptors won. Now you know. They did win, and we had talked. Uh, I, maybe I was a little bit more bullish on the Raptors going into the series. Look, one game does not make yeah, the whole series. Right. We've seen this many times. Um, the Bucks trounced the Raptors for the first two games of the Eastern Conference Finals, and then just got rolled the next four. So anyone that wants to overreact to NBA play, one NBA playoff game, you simply can't. It's just it's it's really the death of like most people when they follow it that they just make you know a, a summary judgment on what happens after one game. That being said, this game played out really. Interesting in a way. I have a lot of thoughts. I know you do too. I'm trying. I'm struggling where to start. Um, overall, are you surprised with the performance, or do you think they kind of got there in a way that we didn't expect? I, I feel like I have lots of thoughts on this game, but they're sort of jumbled less than 24 hours later. Yeah. So one of the things I, I, I was certainly surprised by the result. I think the the evidence that Toronto could keep it close was there from earlier meetings this season and you know this one specific recipe that I think people have been trying to look for when it comes to beating Golden State all along which is like basically like why has no team in NBA history till now just tried to play small ball in the way that Golden State does right like and people are like oh it's the shooting it's the spacing like ultimately sure like you can go double big and you know, you can score two points, but they're just going to score three. And, and I certainly understand all that. The one thing, an impression I got from game one was Toronto just looked awfully long. Like, they just yeah. looked like they had a size advantage at every position. And I think that really came through when Golden State was trying to figure out how to deal with both Kawhi and Siakam. And obviously, like, whatever happens, you can't expect Siakam with the types of shots he was taking, like, you know, banging around in traffic, shooting baby hooks and stuff like that. Like, yeah, the herky—I call him—I call him the Siakam herky jerkies. You know, like, that's kind of what he does. Score 
make 14 out of 17 of those every game, obviously. But, hey, man, like, is are Kawhi and Lowry and some of these other guys going to be as bad as they were? Like, I don't know. Uh, it, it looks convincing enough to me that I don't think Golden State will win the next four games and sweep them out of the playoffs. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, I I mentioned like the herky jerky, the Siakam things. I feel like watching Siakam a decent amount of the season, like it's this is this is like a fan take more than it's going to be a statistical take. So just prepare yourselves. I don't usually do these, but the if Siakam does have the feel to me. Like either that herky jerky stuff all goes in or all misses. Like he'll take some wild looking shots that bank off the backboard, like these turnaround sort of like you call them baby hooks. It's they're sort of like that. Like they're like these like little in traffic turnaround moves that he banks and they go home. Or they just all miss, and he's like two for 15 from the field. And I feel like it's either sort of all or nothing. I'm sure the stats will disprove on that one. Last night was for sure the one where it looked like everything that he just threw up in the air was going to end up going in. Um, Yeah, I think that, like, it's interesting about sort of, like, how Toronto ended up attacking Golden State. They did a couple things that I thought would happen and a couple things that I didn't. One was I was, I feel like, correct about was that they ended up starting Kawhi on Iguodala on defense and with the idea that he was able to kind of just close out some things when they wanted to be able to do it. I'm also like a little concerned though, that they started Kawhi on Iguodala because he's hurt. Like, I don't know if you got a sense of this watching last night, but like, do, do you, which do you think it is? Do you think that they're saving him because like the idea of guarding Draymond for every possession or even worse, like guarding clay or Curry, which I don't right. think we're going to see too much of was going to be just too taxing to him on defense. Or do you feel like, it, like this tendonitis thing might be a bigger thing than we know about? And the, the part where he guards Iguodala is more about maybe just hiding him a little bit in the defense. I, I hate to watch a game and make a judgment about injury, too. I know I'm doing a lot of these like hot takey kind of things right now. And I, I don't know, whatever, yeah. it's after one game. But like, do, you have, do you have a sense of, because I'm a, little, I'm a little concerned about Kawhi's health here. No, I think it's reasonable to be concerned about Kawhi's health. I don't, I guess like I don't usually take as much away from a single game like like were you worried about his health in the milwaukee series um if you were then I you a little bit i was yeah I, yeah i was a little bit only because like it looked like he was getting treatment on the sidelines for his knees and stuff like that i just like i don't know it was it, 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 it did show up on the injury report i get he's playing and he's healthy and he was look mostly fine maybe i'm just making too much about it um i mean do you got, think we see him line 12 times like you know yes he, i think there is still enough evidence that he's at least fine enough to be you know, like a gravitational force in the game that Golden State has to focus on, and I don't see that changing. So, yeah, because like the big takeaway I had on the the Raptors side watching was that it they were getting just a lot of pretty easy looks from some of these other yes. guys, like you know, good buckets in transition, occasional just completely wide open threes. And listen, I understand too they had some absolute just hail marys at the end towards the end of the game, like the Van Vliet three and um, the McCaw three. It's just like you're not going to count on those getting those every game. But uh, yeah, I, I thought Kawhi was enough of a distraction and the rest of the offense had good enough looks. Like I think judging the game by the quality of the looks usually makes more sense than the actual field goal percentage and so on. And, and I thought Toronto got good looks and I think that's, that's going to spell success here. Yeah. And if you look at, if you actually look at the free throws, you can, you get, you, you can simply look at the box score and understand what the game plan was for both teams on defense, right? Curry gets the line 14 times. Kawhi gets the line 12 times. No one else is even close to these numbers. Mm-hmm. And that's because 
the teams really just made a, a, a point. Both teams made a point to absolutely hound these two guys on offense. And sometimes that's going to lead to rough shots. Like Curry ends up going eight for, eight for 18, which is fine from the field. Uh, Kawhi ends up going five for 14. But the fact that they both got to the line 26 times, it points to the fact that these guys were taking contested shots. Sometimes those shots are contested and they're bad looks. Sometimes they're contested and you get fouled. And it was kind of a mix of, of both for these two teams because it, it was clear. They're like, we're just going to if everyone else on the team can beat us, this is both teams' theories, I think. If everyone else on the team can beat us, then so be it, right? But it's just not going to be a 25 shot per game for Curry and for Kawhi, and they're knocking down, you know, shots at like 60% or something like that. And that's not how we're going to lose. And I think that like both teams really showed their hand when it came to that. And then what you get is the Toronto guys, like you said, getting looks that look good and then making them, like, right? Like, it gets a little more ISO one-on-one Siakam and Draymond where he's able to take them to the basket because they're just so focused on Kawhi. You're getting these Van Vliet pretty good looks, even though that was that miracle one was the only one he made. Um, so I think that like, I think it does speak to what their plan is on defense. Let's talk a little bit too about the injury stuff. How concerned with you, or I'm, I was very concerned when I saw Iguodala come off the court at the end of the game. Kerr comes out and says he's quote, okay. I also don't really trust their injury reporting process because now it's like, Durant might Durant travels might be back for game two. Oops! Now it just comes out he might be back for midway through the finals. Like, well, what's midway through the finals? That could be game two if they, if one of the, if Toronto ends up sweeping. Like, I don't you know what I mean? Like, what's midway? Like, how what do we even take with some of the? Let's start with, I guess with the Iguodala thing. Um, how concerned were you when Iguodala comes off the court last night? Because he's he's really critical for what they need to do on defense. It looked pretty scary to me, honestly. Like the fact that he the way he grabbed his thigh. And the way he like clapped in anger and sadness um, for like an older guy who probably knows his body by now, like it wasn't like, ooh, that's a little tweakaroonie. It was like, right. oh no, like this, <laughs> this was this was not something that was good. Um, that that was kind of my impression. Also, these teams have every incentive to be to mislead the media, right? Like, yes. What do they care if you know <laughs> if the guy's more like doubtful and they say like, oh, he's okay, like. They don't have any incentive to tell the truth and let the other team prepare, uh, especially given that, like you said, Kawhi was covering Iguodala. So, yeah, I, I would be very concerned about that. Um, I do think that there are other cards Golden State can play here. Like, like for instance, if they get Durant back, even a Durant at 80%, they probably yeah. haven't lost too much from Iguodala. <laughs> right? So I think there are, like, directions it can go. To, uh, I think we can still see more minutes out of Boogie as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't count Golden State out if Iggy's hurt, but it certainly doesn't help him. Yeah, Boogie came in. He comes off the bench and plays eight minutes yesterday. The conditioning for him is going to be the biggest issue. He's been out for months now. Conditioning for him is always, he's just a bigger guy and a big body. And if your legs are hurt, you can't keep in game shape at all, right? So, like, you can't really expect any more minutes. Do you think, I mean, judging by the way he played in his eight minutes last night, do you think we actually see a few more minutes out of Boogie going forward? Yeah, he looked, like, spry to me, I guess. Like, he was seeing the court really well. Um, Had at least the one steal. He was hitting those back cuts and stuff on his assists so like yeah. yeah i think i think also just his size and general athleticism matches up well with what toronto throws at you because like again the one major impression i got from toronto was just their length and aside from van vliet who is pretty short he's just six feet tall like if he can actually just stick with curry like you're like uh, like like i guess an overreaction theater would be Kevon looney man this guy whoa he's gonna get a deal from somebody this summer 
It's like the Raptors just have Serge Ibaka. Like, is is Kevon Looney that much better than Serge Ibaka? Probably not, right? right. <laughs> like, like Ibaka can at least hang, and and Ibaka's still fast and can get out in transition. And he's certainly not the player he was on OKC, but he could still do a little something, right? And I, I think Toronto, yeah, they can consolidate well with their big guys. They're getting quality minutes out of Ibaka and Van Vliet, and I think those minutes are going to be more valuable than the minutes the Golden State gets out of like Looney, Livingston, Cook, McKinney, all those. I don't want to call them scrubs, but guys that I think are a tier below uh, FBV and Ibaka. And I think it becomes especially more glaring. Like if you lose Iggy and Durant's not back, you got to distribute 30 more minutes around those guys. Yeah, all of a sudden I'm starting to feel pretty concerned. Yeah, they uh, they matched a lot of Van Vliet's minutes with Curry. Uh, he picked him up three quarters court a lot of the time uh, during this game, and that was a key too to just kind of stopping and slowing down what the Golden State plan is. Because again, like they want to bring Curry down. If he has the ball, they want to bring him down the court. They want to do a dribble handoff. They want to run him behind some stuff, hoping they can get a switch on either onto him or uh, just like someone else gets a mismatch, or you get like one of those aforementioned back cuts that you uh, that you mentioned with Boogie and Draymond hit a lot of those last night. The length really also came into play on some of those back cuts. Like I made specific notes about a couple plays early in the game. I'll try to grab them actually real quick and put them in the video here. I put them in the video, but where Draymond, whose vision is like just freaking ridiculous foresees a back cut, gets it there, and Toronto's length is able to just actually close it out and challenge it in ways that teams like Portland just were dusted on completely over and over and over again, right? So, like, they're still going to get those looks, but if you can just stop them, I don't know, you get them 80% conversion rate instead of 100% on some of those really easy, like, layup baskets that, that the Golden State, the Warriors get a lot of, you are going to be in pretty good shape. So, I don't know. This is, it's fascinating, man. I I, I can't wait to see what we get from this injury news out of Iguodala, out of Durant going into game two. Toronto, that place was BS crazy last night going into the game. Like the place was just, they were so loud during pregame. I ended up just watching a little of the pregame, which I really do. They were so loud that it was hard to hear like Paul Pierce and Jalen Rose at times over the pregame crowd. And then it absolutely went completely ballistic during the game. That place is going to be nuts. Any other final thoughts here on this game? I, we'll try to maybe do a re- reaction after game two as well. Anything else stand out to you about... um? I know I was cheering pretty hard for the Raptors last night, man. I gotta, yeah, I gotta I'm, say, I'm anything else? Cheering for them as well. I, I yeah. just happy that they're gonna make it more of a series. I'm also like kind of happy for Kevin Durant a little bit too. And like if he comes back, and then Golden State wins, I feel like that's just such a better narrative for him now that they've lost a game and looked human. Because like all of a sudden, especially with like Iguodala going down, all of the talk of like, wow, what about these Warriors? Better without Durant. And I know no serious basketball analyst would say that, but you'll see plenty of people saying things like that, or at least like flirting with it, nodding to the question. I I think at least those people have to admit that you probably could have used Durant (laughs) last night, right? So uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the rest of the series and just grateful that Toronto took a dub here. I actually have one more quick question for you because it was something I meant to bring up on the, um, it was something I meant to bring up on our preview podcast and I forgot, I'm gonna actually bring it up now. So if you go on my bookie, this is the only place I've been able to find these odds. You can find odds, and they, I think they took it down briefly, and then they, um, they, they, they just switched it. Oh, they, actually, they just switched it. It's odds for players to sign with teams in the offseason, right? Like you could bet. So before the series started, Kawhi to the Clippers was like, I don't know, plus 150. Shoot, I meant to screen cap it. And the, the Raptors were the underdog. That has switched now. Now the Raptors are the favorite after one game. Do you think like... 
I mean, I, I guess, I don't know what the question I'm trying to ask is. Like, do you think, like, how, how much it hangs in the balance with just, like, Kawhi winning here? Because it, it, let's say they sweep out of the rest of the playoffs. Like, is winning one game in the finals, like, maybe enough to keep Kawhi? Like, this is, like, this. I know people want to talk about the Durant thing in the offseason. Kawhi's arguably even more important when it comes to a team. Uh, and now Durant has actually flipped to plus 150 to the Warriors, and that had not been the case either. Like, do you think... Vegas is just kind of like playing on people's mentality when it comes to this? Or like, do you think that these kind of wins and losses actually do flip like the real life scenario about where players are, where they're going to end up? Because it's sure the the odds have completely changed after this one game for Kawhi. I'm sure they must impact it on some level. I will say with those Vegas odds, like when I look to odds like that, I am looking at it as an informational piece. Like, like I would guess that somebody, (laughs) okay, so I'll compare it to when you spoiled the ending of Game of Thrones for me with the odds, okay? Sure. Which which many people don't know. So Bran, this is going to be a spoiler alert, by the way, uh, if you haven't gone back three weeks later and watched the Game of Thrones. So Bran was listed at minus 450 as going to be the king of Westeros. And this was something that a decent amount of people on Earth just knew the answer to, right? And those people, all of those guys have like college roommates and people just further enough aware where they can say, Hey, man, not for nothing, but if you want to go bet $1,000 on this, you're just going to get $1,000. If you tell anyone, I'm going to be really pissed, you know, but like you're my brother, so go for it. With something like this, it's not like that episode was already recorded and they couldn't go back and change the ending. So you can get some pretty definitive odds. With something like Kawhi leaving, if you see big line movement in something like that, usually it's because somebody said something and somebody else is trying to capitalize like people know that these sort of exotic bets exist out there now and when you see dramatic line movement my strong suspicion would be that Kawhi said to somebody at one point dude i'm gonna go to the clippers so like don't, yeah don't I, worry I, about I, let it. me and now stop I, that I real quick that he would say to somebody else uh maybe i'm not gonna like that that would be my impression I did misread these lines real quick, by the way. It's still Clippers minus 200, Raptors oh, plus okay. 125. That has come down a little bit, and I, I you know, why? Because these li- they're listed in they're listed with the they're listed in the wrong order on the. Well, on bad my bad job so. by whoever listed them didn't list the favorite first, but yeah, I because the say... Knicks are actually still minus 225. So my eyes kind of glossed over it, and I did like I added the plus sign to both of these. Like I added the plus 150 to the Warriors, which would make them the favorite, and then plus 225. But it's actually minus 225. So actually, the Knicks and Clippers still favorites here. Yeah, so that, I, that I think tells that, me that Kawhi told one of his friends at one point, I'm either going to the Clips or the Knicks, and that's the only the only two options. So, I still think that plus 125 number is really good for Kawhi um, for going back to the Raptors. It's not, it doesn't seem as great for Durant, but man, I, like how not much for me needs to happen to be like to convince a guy, but like, do you want to stay here? Like, you can just you have a chance to win a championship. All right. Game one in the books, game two coming up on Sunday. It's funny about these stupid way they scheduled did this because. During the beginning of the season, like these teams are playing once every two days, or excuse me, the last round they're playing once every two days, and now they stretch out to once every four. Like I just don't know who's making the schedule for the NBA. Anyway, got a couple days in between. We'll try to be back to do a reaction after game two, buddy. Enjoy your Friday. Peace. Fall is finally here, and so is Old Navy's Big Fall Sale. Get thousands of styles from just 5 bucks. All your fall favorites are on sale now. Layer up with $5 tees and $10 long-sleeve tees for the whole family, and stock up on sweaters and dresses for just $15. Plus, save even more with up to 75% off clearance styles. Don't miss out. Hurry in for thousands of styles from just 5 bucks now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1015 to 1025, select styles only. 
Fall is finally here, and so is Old Navy's Big Fall Sale. Get thousands of styles from just five bucks. All your fall favorites are on sale now. Layer up with $5 tees and $10 long sleeve tees for the whole family, and stock up on sweaters and dresses for just $15. Plus, save even more with up to 75% off clearance styles. Don't miss out. Hurry in for thousands of styles from just five bucks now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1015 to 1025, select styles only. 